appreciate being here and talk to you today. Um, some, you know, I, I did your research, but there might be some things about me that you don't know uh, that might be of, of some interest uh, to you. So um, I wrote for the college paper when I was in undergraduate school. Yeah, I went to Montclair State. It was called The Clarion. So um, I was a reporter for The Clarion for some time. And um, uh, one of the things that I remember the most was that there was a story that I really wanted to interview the president about. Story had to do with <clears throat> the police department on campus, whether or not they should be armed. It's a very controversial subject. The police officers were not armed, and the, uh, the university was looking to do that, and there was a lot of opposition to it. You know, so I was writing an article about it, interviewed lots of folks, and I thought um, I should quote the president. You know, okay. so I tried to call him. Uh, president, uh, I had never seen him uh, around campus. I knew who he was. I know what he looked like, you know. Yeah. But um, he, and this is quite a long time ago, too. Yeah. Different, you know, different world, I guess. But um, I hadn't seen him around campus, and um, but I thought I would just, you know, call, let him know who, who I was, what I was doing, and he never got back to me. And I will never forget. That. I was very disappointed, and I never thought many years later that I would be a university president. <laughs> You know, in the position to uh, um, you know uh, be more visible and accessible uh, than, than he was, but I never forgot this. So I wrote the article anyway, and of course I wrote that the president was contacted, but uh, had, not had not responded. You know, um, so also uh, so I had an interest when I was uh, sitting where you are um, in journalism and public relations, and um, I was an avid um, follower of current events watched a lot of TV, read a lot of newspapers and magazines, mass media, much different in the early 80s uh, than it is now. So I kind of, you know, I've uh, tried to be a, a student of the changes in mass media over time. And I really wanted to get into that line of work, be a journalist. I didn't do that. I wound up getting more involved in, in um, what you probably found out, um, elected office. I was involved in politics, and, and uh, I helped to run and manage political campaigns. So I did a lot of a lot of writing, a lot of you know, public relations kind of writing and submitting, you know, articles to newspapers on behalf of the candidates and so forth. Um, and then um, uh, very early on in my career, I did a lot of media relations work um, in New York City, um, pitching stories and um, um, helping get uh, faculty experts um, in the news, whether in print or television or radio. And in the middle of New York City, at a college that um, specialized in criminal justice, um, you know, very high percentage of the news is focused on on crime and order. You know, and I'm sure you know that. I'm sure you've studied that. And um, we had a lot of experts that would comment on every every crime that came along. You know, uh, forensic experts, law enforcement experts. So um, I helped you know place them. And you know, journalists then and now. You know, need these experts because you all can't be experts in everything that you write about, right? You know, so you need to rely on, on sources and ex other expertise in order to round out your story. Um, so, uh, so I did a lot of that. So it was very interesting. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, I went my career went into um, a different direction, but um, I still have you know a lot of interest in in, in media and journalism and, and public relations. So. 
Uh, this is the first class I'm officially talking to, and I'm, I'm very glad that it's, uh, that it's a class that teaches uh, mass media. So much has, has changed. It wasn't cable news back then, you know, and um, uh, so many 24-hour channels, and uh, you know, I don't know if you study where, you know, how the, the involvement of, of the news industry, but it was so different back then, you know. There was one, one major broadcast at 6.30 on three channels that we all watched, and, um, and that was it, you know. So, um, I, I watch the growth of cable news, and you know today um, it's it's just so much different. Of course, social media and everything else. I'm sorry. Let me just shut this phone off. So anyway, I just wanted to mention a couple things that you probably didn't know before you start asking me questions, and it might lead you to ask me other questions. So um, so anyway, um, fire away. <laughs> yeah. Um, now you that yourself? yeah, uh -huh. my name is Kylie Shlinsky. I'm actually a journalism major. So. Okay. Um, since you talked about how when you were a student you wanted to know your um, president's stance on whether or not they were armed or not, the mm -hmm. um, campus police, has that changed since you actually became president of a school, or is your stance still the same on that? About? Um, about them being armed. Good question. I, I, I think it, it re really depends on the, on the circumstances of the particular institution, you know, and um, the relationship uh, of the institution with the local police, um, the level of threat, you know, in, in the area, um, the laws of, of the state, you know, and so forth. So I think it's, it's an individual thing. Uh, there are circumstances where it makes sense. I mean, where, where I came from um, in New York City, um, the, the presidents there had the discretion as to whether or not it was part, of, the college was part of a system. so. The presidents um, had discretion as to whether or not they were going to allow guns on campus. Uh, many people thought that with the NYPD uh, being um, um, so available and, and their reputation being so great that it wasn't necessary and their response time to get uh, to the campus um, was very quick, that there was no need to arm people. Um, many people were concerned that issues could escalate, you know, if, if there were guns on campus. So. Uh, so my feelings are not, um, you know, my feelings really uh, have more to do with uh, what, what a particular situation is, you know, and, and as, as I said, uh, the campus, the level of crime, um, what the laws are, relationship with the local police and so forth. Yeah, it's hard to make sort of a general, you know, general statement, um, you know, and, and, and guns have, have become such a, you know, such a, a hot button issue, you know, it's become very much a, a political issue too. Um, so there, there's that as well. Oh boy. Um, you know, back then in the in late seventies, uh, early eighties, um, I don't think we were as focused on um, the quality of the student experience as we are now. I mean, I don't remember people talking to, to students or trying to engage us to understand, you know, how we felt uh, and how we were experiencing uh, college life. So I think the um, giving, giving voices to students is something that um, I've always tried to do um, throughout my, my career in higher education and um, where I came from uh, and my experience of students had a greater voice in helping the institution make uh, decisions. So I think that's probably you know, one, one area that 
Um, I remember, you know, the, that president at that time didn't get back to me. I was on the student government. I don't remember particularly being asked my opinion about uh, things that were going on or decisions that had to be made um, at the university at the time. Um, I suspect they're doing it much differently now than we did it back then, just like we are um, and every university and college should be doing um, across the board. So um, I, think, I think giving students a voice at the table, um, you know, listening to their concerns, getting their input, um, you know, your, your tuition dollars are, are paying to operate the school, you know, and less and less of it is coming from the state. Pennsylvania happens to be at, 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 the, uh, at the bottom of support for public higher education, so that, that is quite, quite unfortunate. So even more so, I think that indicates that you should have a greater voice regarding how decisions are made. So that, that would be the, the, that's my major takeaway from that. So let me follow up on that. On the, on the, Hayden, on the Hayden article, you said something to me that you believe in making our mission a program more accessible to students with, and providing them a high value, high quality education. What's the high value high quality education in your mind? Well, um, your success is, is our mission, right? So success comes in, in lots of forms, right? To prepare you not only for your first job, but to prepare you for a lifetime of success um, and to help you uh, appreciate the value of learning throughout the rest of your life. Um, so, um, High quality has to do with lots of things. Um, having quality uh, professors who um, care about you, who are available to you. Um, having um, um, staff who provide you the services uh, that you're paying for. Um, maintaining the facilities and, and having a functioning uh, campus. Um, as I said before, um, helping you to have a role in the direction um, of the campus. Um, giving you a connection, I think, to the university um, after you leave here um, as, an, as an alum um, is um, um, an example of that. Um, helping you make the right decisions um, while you're a student, giving you uh, good advisement, um, helping you when you're struggling, <clears throat> uh, providing the services you need to be um, successful, helping to create, or helping to is, um, um, have you become a, a good citizen and understanding um, the impact of community service, one of the things I think we do very well here is um, giving you uh, experience outside the classroom where you can take what you're learning and apply it to real life to help people. You know, I think one of the things we do very well here is to um, help you help others. You know? So um, I believe very strongly that helps create a better experience for you and gives you better uh, value because you'll be more prepared to um, um, to serve the community and, and to be uh, a more attractive candidate for a job or uh, to help serve the common good. Um, you know, employers say all the time that um, uh, candidates for jobs um, are lacking certain skills. I mean, they, they have a degree in a particular discipline, but um, they lack oral and written communication skills or they lack leadership skills or they're not um, reliable. Um, and um, um, don't know how to work as a team, um, don't know how to fail. You know, I think one of the biggest problems uh, today is that, um, and I have young daughters, so I've been through this you know, myself as a father, is that uh, people are afraid to fail. Uh, we all want to win the first time out. You know, we want to be successful. We want to try and do something and, 
and be successful the first time. It's okay to fail, you know. So I think one of the important lessons that we can help our students with is um, to, to accept failure and to learn from it, to reflect back on what might not have gone the way you wanted it to, to ask questions, you know, not just when you're interviewing people, but to ask questions about um, um, how you can be more successful the next time, you know, and, and to turn to people you trust, whether it's a faculty member or, or a, a trusted advisor or even a, even a friend, and, and, and ask the hard questions, you know, what, what did I miss here? What did I, you know, what did I not get? Um, how can I do this again and be, and be successful? Um, so um, helping you understand that, I think, uh, uh, brings, uh, brings value. Um, so it's not just getting that first job or getting a good job. It's really you know, help, helping you to be um, a, a good citizen and giving you life skills that will, will last you over your lifetime. You're closest, so. <laughs> Uh, this is a little more personal. Uh, New York City is always, is, in general, is a different pace than Lock Haven. So what has been the biggest adjustment for you so far? Mm. Um, I worked in New York for tw uh, almost 25 years, but I lived in suburban uh, North Jersey, so it was a smaller uh, community. Um, the town I grew up in had about 13,000 people. Lock Haven has about 10,000. Um, but it is a difference between you know suburban and rural. I, I chose to live in New Jersey and to commute every day to New York. Um, I did that for 24 years, which when I look back at it, I don't know how I did that because uh, the commute was a struggle, even though it was close. Um, it was very congested and there were you know, so many cars, sometimes it took two hours to get to, get to work. Um, I miss, uh, there's some things about New York uh, that I miss. I miss the energy, I miss the diversity. And I worked in, a, and I worked, uh, in very diverse institutions. Um, the student body looked like the city of New York, you know, and um, so um, people with different, different ethnic backgrounds, different cultures, uh, different languages, um, I think added a lot of vitality you know, to, to the work um, that I think I miss. Um, there, of course, are you know, cultural opportunities uh, that are harder to find here in terms of I love baseball and I miss going to, <laughs> miss going to the city field to watch my Mets, you know, but I'm watching it on TV now through MLB Network, so that's okay. Um, so, um, but I always like to go home. You know, at the end of the day, I loved I loved the city, but I liked to go home to a quieter, um, you know, environment where, um, you know, I like the garden. I have my dog, and you know, my kids went to really really good school, public uh, school system, um, and I enjoyed the dichotomy of having the energy and excitement of New York, but going home to a, um, I guess, a, a more sedate and, and uh, calm environment. Um, so. Um, I don't miss New York on a daily basis, as you as you might think. You know, um, there's lots to do out here. Um, you know, um, I wanted to be at an institution where I thought I could make a difference. And um, you know, my parents were, as you probably read about, my parents were working class people. They were immigrants and first generation American, first one to go to college. And um, college transformed my life. And the college that transformed my life was the local state college. You know, because that's where my parents were uh, able to afford to send me. And it's it's the um, it's the version of what we have here at Lock Haven, you know, and um, uh, and, and um, our our region, our area, um, is filled with families. I feel uh, like mine were um, that um, didn't make a lot of money and understood that education was a way uh, to get ahead. And, and we do that very well here, where we you know transform uh, families and, and bring them from the bottom 60% of income to the top 40%, and we 
take families and move them into the middle class. And that's what happened to me. So all throughout my um, education uh, career, uh, that's what I uh, was focused on and that's what I uh, spent my, my, my career doing. And um, I really wanted to be the leader of an institution that was all about that. So for me, it wasn't you know, where, where the institution was, it was being at the right institution. I found, I found that here at Lock Haven. Um, so um, I love this institution. I love the area. Uh, the people here have been you know, tremendously uh, welcoming to me. Uh, it's a beautiful part of uh, the country, really. Um, I love the river. I love the outdoors. I, I love watching the seasons change. I just, you know, we all just went through uh, winter, my first winter here. It's still cold out there, even though it's April 2nd. So <laughs> I'm waiting for it to get a little bit warmer. I'm adjusting to the climate is a little bit different. I hope it doesn't rain every summer uh, for three months uh, here in Pennsylvania like it did last summer. I don't think it's going to. Um, but um, love walking the river. You know, um, Amy and I do that all the time as much as we can. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, new bike trails that have opened up. Um, I went to uh, the opening of a of a, a section of bike trail about five minutes away from here that I'm looking forward uh, to using. So I, I love the outdoors uh, a lot. Uh, there, there are opportunities here to, um, uh, to be involved in local um, activities and to help um, strengthen the city. I'm really uh, working hard at community relations and, and town-gown relations so that the university is a bigger part of what's going on downtown and that we can be a, uh, and we can bring the university into the city and bring the city into the university. So, um, you know, I, I don't tell Amy this, but I don't really miss New York too much. Uh, she, <laughs> she, she loves New York a lot more than I do. You know, um, I get back from time to time, um, but um, if, I, if I need a fix, but I'm very committed to, to being here and, and, and really enjoying, uh, you know, it's been nine months now and uh, it's the best job I could ever hope to have. My name is Tess Gallagher. I'm in the PR track. Um, mm -hmm. I heard about your new bike system that you, the idea that you have, and I'm a commuter and I drive a car here every day. And I want to know how you plan to have car, cars and bikes coexist safely on campus. Mm -hmm. Well, we haven't adopted um, the bike share program yet. There is yeah. a cost to it, so we're looking at it. I, I visited Westchester University because they have one. I think they're the only university system that has it um, and there's a initial charge to have the system at the university it's quite costly so we have to figure out you know, who's going to pay for that you know because um, I don't think it's going to work if, if, the, uh, if the cost is borne by the students from what I uh, know from talking to a few students and talking to student uh, affairs people here um, you're going to want it, I mean, like everyone right, would want it to be a free system, right? So, but somebody has to pay because the company has to make money, right? Um, so the idea would be hopefully if we can do it is to have a pilot where maybe we have 10 or 12 bikes and, and um, have a station um, here at the main campus at the, at the circle maybe, uh, have something at East Campus and have one, uh, oh, thank you, and have one downtown because it's another way to bring, you know, bring students into the downtown. Um, so um, I'm an avid bike rider. I rode my bike uh, to work a few times before it started raining every day. <laughs> and um, I'm actually looking to have the uh, police department um, do bike patrols, um, more bike patrols as opposed to uh, car patrols. So uh, we just hired three new officers, and uh, you should be seeing them on bikes when the weather gets a little bit better. We're relaxing the skateboard uh, policy. So it's going to add to your um, the dilemma that maybe you uh, foresee here, where we're going to permit um, 
a skateboard use on, on sidewalks for transportation purposes, you know. Um, I don't know if that's been announced yet, but we've, we've decided uh, to do that. So there's some faculty that have said that there was a, or a, uh, a parking uh, committee of some kind where, where people used to uh, meet and talk about parking issues. Um, they've asked me to, uh, to resurrect that. So uh, I thought about that, and I thought about all the other related transportation issues, some of uh, the ones that you um, are raising. It might make sense to have a transportation committee so that we have, um, and students will be on it, um, so that um, we can take a look at all these issues um, from the standpoint of, of transportation, not just parking cars. So that would mean looking at you know, bikes on campus, skateboards, parking, um, any other uh, you know, trolley service. Um, uh, we now have the RVT bus company um, helping us with transporting and shoving people around. And they've also um, agreed to provide free uh, event service to take students to different places for events. Like let's say maybe to a baseball game or a soccer game across the river, uh, to the complex across the river, to encourage um, you know more fans to come out and uh, you know. I've heard a lot of students say there isn't enough to do. Um, is that true? I don't know. If you live on campus, is there enough to do? Nights, weekends, uh, students are telling me there, there, there could be more to do around here. Is that true? Uh, I'm Nicholas Horn. I'm a sophomore. I think personally, in a lot of ways, I would say yes, it is true, especially on the weekends as someone who's now lived on campus for two years. Personally, it feels like a dead campus, especially on Saturdays, mm. especially on Sundays. Like, yeah. It feels like there's a lack of things to do, which I'm thrilled by the River Valley Transit idea. I think yeah. that's just Right. So picture on a Saturday afternoon, one o'clock baseball game, uh, bus picks you up over here, takes you to the game, takes you back. Right. So we're, we're looking at that. But um, so I think we like, you know, want to try to look at transportation issues a little more holistically. I'm hoping we're going to actually put a bid out for the bike share program. So okay. I should say that, right? So that means we're going to put a solicitation out to companies who provide the service, and there are a lot of them now. And they can submit proposals back and propose, you know, what it would cost to do it. And we can look at them. We're not obligated, you know, uh, in any way. And I'm talking to the city about whether or not they would, you know, contribute to a bike share program because it's in, it's in their interest to get more students to come down to Main Street. Mm -hmm. um, my name is Sean DeWayne. I'm an electronic, me an electronic media track. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, since you were talking a lot about uh, building the community here at Lock Haven with not only the students on campus, the students off campus, and with the city. Um, how do you plan on building the community of Lock Haven with the students this semester and forward? You mean internally building community within? Yeah. within? Well, I mean, I'm of the mind that um, I don't like to ask people to do anything that I, I'm not doing myself. So for me to challenge the staff to improve the student experience, you know, uh, means that I have to take the lead. So I, I've been trying to do that for the last nine months. And that means, you know, riding the trolley, visiting students at their dorms, which I've done. I've visited every dorm, including the one with the pets. And I got to meet the pets over there, the hamster, the bunny, and some of the few other ones. Um, I've, um, you know, I go, to, I go to athletic contests. I, you know, went out to Pittsburgh. Uh, for the wrestling uh, match, was there for, for three days to, to cheer on the wrestling team. I try to go to um, you know, events that um, where student success is, is celebrated and recognized. Um, we have a um, 
a timeout event scheduled for later on this month. Timeout is a uh, term used by the um, local chamber of commerce, but they're actually called the um, uh, Clinton County Economic uh, Partnership, and they have these sort of uh, open houses that businesses have where they showcase um, you know, what they do to the members of the business community. So we're having our first one at Lock Haven um, on the 25th of April for that group, and we're going to be showcasing uh, student undergraduate research, community service, and international activities so that we can celebrate our success. Um, of interest to you as mass media students, uh, we have increased our profile in the local media. We send out lots of press releases uh, about what you're all doing. Uh, when you succeed so that the community can understand that and build support um, for the university to demonstrate that, uh, that we have value, that, th that uh, they're willing to hopefully support, uh, to invest in because we want to raise money through private donors. So it's really important that we demonstrate uh, what we're doing. Um, giving students a voice, as I said earlier, is another way, I think, to build community. I mean, you're going to be more invested in something that you feel you have um, a voice in in um, um, and commenting and, and shaping, you know. So um, I think giving a student a voice, students a voice, is a big part of community. Recognizing um, um, the work of our staff is another way uh, that we're trying to build a community, and um, we've uh, undertaken um, a, a recognition uh, program. So we have two ceremonies um, each year where um, staff are nominated for awards uh, by their. Uh, divisions and we recognize them and we have professional development workshops to um, invest in their in their professional development and their and their and their personal development um, you know I, I think the most important asset we have at at any organization and certainly universities are the people who work here so investing in our faculty investing in um, our staff uh, supporting them and making them feel um, respected giving them a voice being transparent uh, about what is happening at the institution. You know, I started a new newsletter um, called From the President's Desk. Not a very creative name, but it's all we could come up with. <laughs> and we send that out uh, once a month in order to let people know uh, what's happening, you know. Um, and a podcast. Right? And a podcast as well. So we, we do a monthly podcast called Haven Horizon, and we invite people on to talk about what's happening at the university. We just had Bob Raleigh, who is the editor, publisher of the Lock Haven Express and the Williamsport uh, Gazette, but he's also the president of Downtown Lock Haven, which is a, uh, a group that supports the, um, um, the, the economic vitality of the city and community relations, and, and we were talking about town-gown relations. So uh, we're soon going to have banners on Main Street, as a matter of fact, that say Lock Haven University. You know, uh, we're supposed to be a, a college town, yet you go up and down Main Street, you don't see much visibility uh, for, um, for Lock Haven. So that, that's going to change. Um, we just created a new Office of Advancement, and there's a new Vice President. His name is Joe Fiocchetta, and we have put all of the related um, offices that have to do with advancing the university, communicating who we are, promoting ourselves, marketing the institution, you know, to, to um, um, uh, to uh, secure more enrollment, uh, alumni, community relations, communications, uh, fundraising, um, all under one umbrella, under the umbrella of advancement. So we're going to focus on internal communication as well as external communication. Um, I think being accessible, being visible is, is a big part of that, and having the members of the community um, involved in the decisions um, that, that affect them.
and building pride and optimism and enthusiasm for our future, uh, these are areas that I'm, I'm, I'm working aggressively on, which all hopefully are, will be, uh, get, will continue to build community. Seem fairly fairly typical to me from what my experience uh, has been, um, you know, over over years as a as a university executive and as a father whose daughters lived away uh, from home. Um, uh, I mean, what I what I like to do when I'm in that situation is is have a chance to interact with students and ask if they have any questions, and I ask them what brought you to Lock Haven, uh, what keeps you here, you know, so. Um, by and large, I've been hearing that it's, you know, we're a small institution where um, you don't feel overwhelmed. You have faculty who, who know who you are, know you by name, um, are always available to you to help you uh, when you need them. Um, and um, we're a close-knit community that's more intimate than a larger university um, where um, you feel like you belong, feel like it's family, um, and you feel like it's a second home. Um, at the same time, we offer a wide variety of programs and activities and clubs, and we have a great uh, location. Um, dorm life, to me, seems fairly typical. Uh, people do complain that there isn't enough to do, which I mentioned before, and that's one of the, um, the bigger issues I hear about. People do bring up um, the cafeteria from time to time and talk about uh, food and, and the um, um, I guess the hours of operation, excuse me, of the, of the cafeterias, I've heard that a lot, and a little bit about the quality of the, the food, so I've been talking to Aramark, Aramark um, about that. Um, I'd like to see healthier choices in the cafeteria. Um, I have an interest in what happens to the food that doesn't get eaten, and what are we doing with it, and we have food insecurity um, um, uh, experienced by our own students, and certainly there are people in the community um, that, that uh, have hunger issues, um, so what happens to that food? Um, we've had discussions about that, um, and we're talking to Aramark about that and about maybe having a compost area where we could, um, you know, return uh, that, that food back back to the uh, back to the soil. So, um, um, are, are there excuse me? Are there any initiatives going on right now that you're aware <coughs> of to address food insecurity? Mm -hmm. Yes, there is. Um, there's a committee of students. Um, I think as part of the, um, I guess somehow associated with the Office of uh, Excellence and Inclusion, I think, the center. Um, and I've met with them with uh, uh, Vice President Lang, and uh, there is a food pantry uh, concept that is um, under discussion. Um, we have a location uh, picked out. It's, um, I'm not sure if we're going to launch it this semester. She might want to wait until uh, the fall. Uh, but um, I think it's, it's a good program. It's, it's going to be run by students. Um, and um, it's a little bit off the main campus and not even physically part of the East Campus, across the street from East Campus, so that um, there'll, there'll be some, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, you know, privacy. Uh, and I know sometimes the, there's a, a stigma attached to, um, to the, the need uh, that students have, and, and we're addressing that by the location. We also had a good discussion about food preparation, you know, so uh, those who live off campus, you know, 
don't necessarily know how to prepare meals, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and how to do it in a cost-effective way. Now, one of my hobbies is I happen to like to cook, oh. um, and I offer to be, you know, a uh, guest uh, chef <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we could um, do that on a regular basis and bring, you know, a guest, uh, a guest chef, if you will, in uh, with their favorite dish and talk about, um, uh, you know, how do you make a tray of, uh, of eggplant or something? You know, that could probably last you for a week for, you know, probably $5, you know, and not everyone knows how to do that, you know. It's, you know, actually it's, it's, it costs more expensive, to, it's more expensive in my opinion to eat badly than to eat well. But if people don't know. I don't know. Hmm? I don't know about that. Oh, I tell you what. I don't know about I'll tell that. You what. I challenge you on that. Oh, well, well you might lose on that because yeah, you could go I'll to the, Am you, you can go to the Amish market Right, and buy two huge eggplants for a dollar. Okay. okay, you could go to Weiss and buy uh, a package of mozzarella cheese for four or five dollars. Right, and you could you could eat for a week and a half for yeah. you know under ten dollars. Yeah, you know. Well, you that that see that that's prep, that's preparation, right? If you if you prepare it and you and you store it in containers and freeze it. You make a couple of dishes like that, you know. You just pick and choose what you want to eat, you know. Um, so, I, I mean, I mean, what I'm saying is, I think it's it's cheaper to make a tray of, of one thing, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. You can make chicken, you can make, you know, some kind of vegetable dish, some kind of casserole, macaroni and cheese, whatever. Uh, it's going to be cheaper to make that one tray that, that you could, you know, you could feed yourself and a bunch of others if you all, you know, collaborate. And, and have a little collaborative, you know, re regarding, you know, preparing food, um, than to go to Wendy's and, and, and buy, buy a meal there, which probably costs you $10 for one meal. So fresh produce, especially around here. I mean, I, I thought that back home, where I, where I came from in New Jersey, but around here, fresh produce, uh, I mean, is really ridiculously cheap. Here's one I'll throw in for you. Uh, I, I thought about this Yeah, I, uh, that's a good idea. Something I actually thought about, um, and they told me that there used to be some kind of food co-op of some kind on Main Street, but it it, um, uh, it uh, was discontinued discontinued due to lack of interest some years ago. Um, but I had the same thought. What about doing it on campus? Yeah. You know, um, I actually uh, I what I would like to do is I would like and I just ran out of time to do it for the spring. I, I don't think there'll be time at this point, but. Um, I would like to actually see us grow our own produce mm -hmm. on campus and get students involved in doing that, mm -hmm. you know. And um, there certainly is a lot of property around here we can find you know, to do that. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, we could create our own co-op based upon what we grow here. Good. Anybody else have a question? Jay, you got a question? Yeah, my name is Noah Tyler. Um, Hi. My parents work on media, and I was wondering, what do you love most about being a president? 
Uh, <clears throat> what I love most is being, being in a position to do for others what, um, what was done for me in terms of the value of public higher education, you know. Um, <clears throat> to be at a place where, you know, our tuition is less than a lot of other places. You know, we need to work on making sure that it, that it stays that way. Um, and being able to provide opportunities for uh, not just young people, but for everyone to have access to education, which transforms lives. I mean, I would not be the university president if it were not for uh, affordable uh, local public higher education. So, um, you know, be, being able to do that and work with others to focus on that is is work that is rewarding and satisfying. And you know, um, uh, being able to help students pursue and achieve their career and personal objectives, uh, there's to me there's, there's there's nothing more more rewarding um, in, in life. Hi. Oh, that's a good story. <laughs> you, you haven't found that one yet? Uh -uh. Oh, all right, that's a really good story. So, so my parents uh, were born in Italy, right? I said that um, I'm a first generation American. Um, and um, my dad came here during the Depression in 1922 on a boat, two week voyage from Naples to New York, Ellis Island. Um, returned uh, back to Ellis Island with him uh, many years later, and he recounted and that experience like it happened, uh, you know, uh, the other day, and it was really uh, moving for me. Um, my mother all immigrated here after they were married. She came here much, much later. Um, still have lots of relatives in Italy on my mother's side. So in the early 90s, my mother gets a call from her brother who lived um, in Casino, outside of Casino, Italy, which is midway between, if you know your geography, between Naples and Rome. Uh, the site of a, of a very major battle during World War II. It just so happened at the time, Lock Haven had a exchange program with the University of Casino. All right. So uh, my uncle, who lived in that area, calls my mother and says um, that my cousin, his son, had a girlfriend uh, who was studying to be an English teacher at the time at the University of Casino, and that she was enrolled in an exchange program to learn um, English and to uh, understand how to be a teacher from the American point of view at Lock Haven University. So he calls my mother and says, um, can, can Robert pick her up during the winter break? And um, can she stay with you during winter break? Can he then take her back for the spring? Um, I was volunteered to do that. Uh, this is before the internet, before GPS, before any of this stuff, right? We had, believe it or not, we had paper maps, uh, paper maps rather, that we had to look at, you know, and somehow figure out how to get to places. Right? Can, can you imagine that, right? <laughs> so I had to find this place called Lock Haven University, which I had never heard of. Um, and I was just, I think, starting to work in higher ed myself, coincidentally. So, um, so I found it, and uh, she was staying at High Hall, okay? And I remember parking the car, walking up all those stairs to help her with her bags, and took her back to, uh, to New Jersey. She stayed with my folks during winter break through the holidays, and then I took her back here. And I um, remember driving uh, back on Water Street, trying to find Route 80. I was having trouble finding it. 
and I was passing all these very nice homes on Water Street, and I said to myself, wow, there's some really beautiful homes here on Water Street. And now I'm the president of Lock Haven living in one of those homes. So that is how I learned about Lock Haven. So then many, many, many years later, um, I was um, interested in becoming a university or college president. I had been working um, in the CUNY system in New York for a very long time, most of those years as a, um, um, as a vice president, executive vice president. And um, I thought that I had more to give, you know, and um, I thought that I, want, I could take what I learned um, as, a, as a higher education executive and I could, be, um, I could be a good president and I was looking for the right place uh, to do that. And then, lo and behold, Lock Haven University seeks a new president. I said, wow, I remember Lock Haven University. And I frankly had not thought about Lock Haven for a very long time, you know, and um, began to look into uh, the kind of institution this is, you know. And it was just something that clicked for me in terms of, um, you know, I remember where the location was, obviously, but, but the value of the, of the institution, you know, the kind of work that we do here, the kind of students that come here, and the importance of a university to them and to the local community. And I read about the kind of president that they were looking for, and I said to myself, this really seems like the right fit, you know. And um, uh, luckily, um, almost a year ago, um, I think, let's see, what's today, the second? Um, about a year ago, my appointment was announced, and I came out on the 11th for um, a, a media event of all things, right, where I was introduced to the community about a year ago. So um, that's, that's the Lock Haven story. Uh, you being from New York and also being in politics, uh, what is your stance on the PA Promise and on the PA Promise and the last uh, last dollar plans mm. as well? Like, yeah, I know that New York has the last the last dollar plan already. Yeah. Well, I try not to take political stance, but I would I would tell you this. Um, so I was involved in the politics up until 1991. I was a, a mayor and a deputy mayor, council person. Uh, since that time, I have not voted in a political primary of any kind. I've been a registered independent, so I'm not, I don't belong to, to either party. Um, I support the, um, the, the philosophy behind programs uh, uh, that you described, um, but I'm not, you know, taking, uh, taking sides on, on legislation. I, I don't think that's the role of, of the president uh, to do, but I do, I am a very strong advocate in investing more and public higher education. I mean, uh, we are, I think, 48th in Pennsylvania in the country in terms of investing in higher education. I have watched um, how other states have uh, gone in the opposite direction, you know, like New York um, and, and uh, Kentucky and, and others. So we just have to invest more in public higher education. I mean, um, our tuition, even though it might be comparatively uh, low, uh, creates barriers for people in low-income uh, brackets uh, to get access to uh, public higher education. So um, whatever you call it, I think government leaders, legislators, governors, uh, our legislature and, and governor need to invest more um, to make it more accessible. So um, so I won't be taking positions on particular forms of legislation, but uh, I am emphatic about investing more in public higher education. Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, uh, just discussed high hall, Recent announcements of McIntyre and High Hall being uh, demolished. Are there any just plans in the pipeline? Have there been ideas, discussions, philosophies about what to do with this extra land now that we'll just have a 
essentially to just empty basically parking lots. Right. Well, we're going to have two or three years to think about that. By the time um, those buildings are, are demolished, um, you know, there's a there's a bureaucratic process. The money comes from the Commonwealth, and there's an agency that handles that. And you know, those things take time, so it's going to be a couple of years. So I think we'll have time to have a discussion um, about that. Um, you know, should that be parking? Should that be new athletic fields? Um, are there ways to use the buildings um, in partnership with uh, with the community? Um, you know. Um, we're trying to, to promote um, ourselves more um, as an institution that's focused on healthcare and nursing um, and um, um, related um, occupations. We're having very good discussions with UPMC and with Geisinger about partnering with them on our nursing program and so forth. Um, here and everywhere, um, our populations are aging and there, there, there are needs for um, nursing home, long-term care uh, facilities. Um, I've mentioned to the healthcare uh, providers in the area that we have a couple of buildings that we're looking to decommission and if they have any interest in, in utilizing them. So maybe partnering with uh, another institution is a possibility. I'm sure there'll be no shortage of, of ideas as to what to do up there. Um, anything uh, beyond just demolishing the buildings is going to take capital, going to take uh, you know, resources uh, to do. Um, so uh, that could become part of our uh, potential cap new capital campaign that we're hoping to launch in connection with the anniversary of uh, Lock Haven. You know, next year we're going to be 150 years old and we're going to have a big year-long uh, celebration um, about that and we're going to be launching a fundraising campaign that is linked to our anniversary and our and our long history here in the, in the area. And, um, you know, that could conceivably be part of the campaign, raising money to do something there. So it remains to be seen. We have to have a lot of discussion about it. Ideas are welcome on that. Hi, my name is Justine. I'm with um, I was just wondering, with the buildings going down, what do you, do you know you plan on like, any furniture in there, like donating and selling it? Yeah, go ahead. There's like a ton of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have not personally thought about that, you know, so that's something we'd have to discuss with staff. and. Um, how old that furniture is and whether or not it can be used, uh, you know, repurposed within the university, um, you know, was, is where I'd, I would look first, you know. Um, I, just, I don't know what kind of condition it's in, so. Uh, That's usually what happens. There's a storage somewhere. I think it's over uh, in East Campus, and when something gets demolished or used up or used or whatever, they gather it all up, they take it down there, and then anybody else on campus, another office that has a need, We just we just won't throw it out. That's for sure. I can assure, assure you of that. Mm -hmm. I want to ask like more of the advanced type of question. What was your favorite college memory? My favorite college memory. Uh, well, in terms of something fun, you know, um, we had great concerts there. You know, where uh, artists would come in, and, and, and there were some big names that came through. You know, at the time. Um, and I enjoyed that a lot. Um, we're trying to do that here, actually, as well. You know, uh, we had a, unfortunately, it was a spring break uh, getaway day on the 8th, and we had the Uptown Collective uh, at the Price Auditorium, and 
we had almost 600 people uh, come. Um, and I know they weren't students because um, you folks all <laughs> were away in spring break, you know. But I like to bring more, li I mean, I'm a musician, you know, uh, it's one of the things I, I like to do and play guitar and sing and I've tried to integrate that a little bit into, uh, into my role as, as president here to, to connect with people and to, and to indicate, you know, my, my belief and, and, and how I value uh, the creative process and the arts. Um, and um, I like to bring more live music here. So we had the Uptown Collective, um, uh, really talented uh, young musicians, uh, you know, in, mainly in high school. And um, I'm actually thinking about an event uh, maybe outdoors in the Commons um, in, in the fall and uh, to bring a live band to perform outside where we could bring, you know, students, faculty, staff, and, and uh, exter you know, uh, external community people all together um, in, the, in the amphitheater uh, area. So, um, so I think, yeah, looking back, um, I would say, you know, live music and, and uh, you know, socializing with friends that, um, you know, many of whom um, I didn't stay in touch with, you know, and, and sometimes I look back and, and wish that I did. And, you know, I didn't live on campus, you know, so um, sometimes, you know, it's a little easier to, to forge those relationships when you're, when you're all living together. I know, you know, I wasn't able to live on campus. My parents could not afford it. And I, I made sure, and I, I was able only to go to the school that my parents could afford to send me. And my father said, you know, you're going to apply to Montclair State, you better make sure you get in because that's where you need to go, you know. And I'm not sure what would have happened to me if I didn't get in there, but uh, my daughters um, were able to go where they wanted to go, and they were able to uh, have experience of living um, off campus, you know, and, and that really helped them uh, develop as, uh, as independent, uh, you know, people. Um, and uh, uh, be on their own, and um, you know I, I didn't get to have that experience, but, uh, but I'm glad they did. I know um, maybe about five years ago they used to do um, actual concerts on campus. They had like Mac Miller and other people, but like, do you plan on having actual like um, concerts here on campus with like higher up artists or continuing that? Well, I would like to hear from what students want. You know, we started our conversation about, you know, not there not being enough to do, you know, so would more concerts be something students want? Would, you know, dances on the weekend, you know, in the evening, every now and again? I mean, or some kind of event like that, which I understand we don't do, um, that we also had, you know, back when I was in school, I mean, and, and even where I used to, where I used to work. Um, so, um, you know, concerts can be sponsored by by student clubs or by student organizations that could be sponsored by the university. It's just one idea. You know, it's only because I happen to like live music, but I don't have any, any you know, particular way to do that. I'm just kind of mentioning that as a, as a concept. Mm -hmm. Do you happen to know why they defunded that, the concerts here? I do not know. No, I don't. I can't even tell you that. I went to one when I was younger. Yeah, I think it would. I think it would be great uh, for us to do. Um, you know, we're also trying to build relationships with the uh, local school district. Um, we have a new superintendent there. You know, Jackie Martin. She happens to be an alumna of the university. Her daughter um, is a student here um, as well. And um, we're looking to have a joint homecoming uh, this, this fall, the end of September. So it'll be our homecoming, their homecoming, and to work together. Uh, we want more of those students to, to come here, you know, so we want to build relationships with the local school district. 
and the parents. You know, I, the more people, you know, that we can get to, to come here and, 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 to, and to visit and to see the location, to experience what it feels like to be on campus, uh, the better off we'll be. I think the institution sells itself, you know, but we just have to look for reasons to get people here. We have our open houses, you know, but we have to do other things to expose people to the campus, uh, to get them to understand us, to know us, to want to support us, and to, to want to send um, their sons and daughters here. I think we had, hopefully, no longer, or at least it's it's dissipating, somewhat of an inferiority complex. You know, we didn't market it. We don't, or we didn't market ourselves assertively. You know, it's very competitive out there. There are a lot of universities, colleges in Pennsylvania, and uh, there are fewer students coming out of the local high schools. You know, uh, that are in a position to go to college. So it's very competitive, and. Um, you know, we have programs here that are not uh, as widely known as they should be, you know, and, um, um, you know, we're, we're in the shadow sometimes of other institutions, and um, um, I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to see us be more assertive in the marketplace, and I thought we were just a little, little too laid back, you know, so maybe that's the New York in me, I don't know, <laughs> but, you know, I just, uh, I just think, you know, we're in a competitive environment, uh, here in, in North Central Pennsylvania, and we, you know, uh, and we just had to be more, more assertive, and um, and and raising our profile and competing uh, for students. You know, the private institutions have huge endowments where they can, you know, take their fifty thousand dollar tuition and say, hey, we'll give you a scholarship and you can come here for twenty five thousand. You know, so they're putting that price point right in the, at the level of what you know what the uh, the Pashi uh, schools are charging, and they're taking students away. You know, so we have to talk about the value of Lockhaven, why we're different, you know. Um, that big campus um, experience is not for everyone, you know. And I had two daughters, one went to a big school, one would have no part of that, you wanted to go to a smaller school. Same family, raised the same way, same values, just different personalities. They both were successful because they went to the school that was the one that was right for them. And there are lots of students out there that um, need the, the small camp, campus, home-like environment that we have here, and we have to, we have to push that out. You know, we um, have not been advertising uh, very well, so we have billboards out now. We have a television commercial which just started running. We're on the radio. We're in the paper all the time, right? So, you know, um, I was surprised with how somewhat isolated we were from uh, the community, the external community, and the city. So we've been working on that, and that's, that's, that's not the case anymore. Um, a little surprised with the degree to which there was somewhat, there, w there wasn't a strong connection between the faculty and staff and the administration in terms of working together to solve problems, you know. Um, uh, not as much transparency, communication, involvement by students and every, we had town meetings, right? We've always had town meetings. I was surprised to learn uh, that students were not invited to the town meetings. That just surprised me, you know, so we changed that, you know. So 
uh, I was surprised with a lot of the things that I was just used to, the, the sort of culture and environment that I was used to for a very long time, um, you know, was, was missing here, you know. So we've been moving to try to, uh, to, try to address that. And, um, you know, I think we're building optimism and enthusiasm uh, for a better future. I mean, uh, people uh, at least tell me that they are more optimistic, they feel more involved, and, and you know, I, I think being visible and accessible, you know, being a president who's visible and, and accessible, um, I think is, is part of that. So th those are some of the things that, you know, as a candidate, you know, for a uh, position, you know, you, you, you're, you're not, you're not going to hear everything, you're not going to know everything mm -hmm. until you, you know, sitting at that desk and really begin to connect uh, with people. Um, but those are all things that are very fixable, you know, and we're, we're, we're addressing them, and that th those kinds of issues can be turned around. But they're so fundamental, you know, the, the culture of the institution, you know, um, having an environment where everybody feels valued, you know, is fundamental to anything you want to do to have a better institution. That has to come first. So just for the record, we are showing how much we value our students at the end of the semester, the first Friday in May, we want to be um, allocating scholarship, our scholarship awards. So if you haven't gotten an invitation yet, you will. Well, send me one. I don't know that I've I seen will. it. I will. Yeah. Um, and all these yeah. students will be there to not only um, support their colleagues or their other students, but also to write a story about it for their funding. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of company and familiar faces you get to come. Okay. And wh where is this going to be held? It's going to be um, at the pub, I believe. But you'll get a written invitation, I'm sure. Okay. So, in terms of questions, we've, we've done. Nicole, your hair looks fine. Do you have any questions? <laughs> um, hi, I'm Nicole. Hi. I uh, am in a PR communications track. And when you were younger, when you were in college, did you ever think that you were going to get a position like this? Or did you like, envision yourself in this position? I did not imagine it uh, even for a moment. Um, um, I uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to major in. Uh, at first, um, I uh, kind of stumbled into uh, political science because um, I just had an interest in, in what was going on in the community, in the world, and I had a couple of internships, you know, that really uh, shaped my thinking about what I wanted to do because I really wasn't sure. Um, I had an internship at the county level, at the state level, at the local level. At the local level, I started going to council meetings, and I was, you know, still in college. And I said, "Gee, I could do this," you know. And I ran for office when I was 24, you know, just a couple of years um, out of college. Um, and I thought that that was going to be my my career, you know, that I was going to continue to get deeper into government. Um, you know, when I got my master's, I thought maybe I would, you know, uh, run an agency or something like that, you know, after after elected office. So. Um, so I thought, you know, I, I was drawn to public service. I was drawn to helping people. I was drawn to, you know, helping government um, uh, provide for the common good. Um, it didn't occur to me that higher education would be a way to do that. Um, but once I had my first job in higher ed and was exposed to how important it is and how interesting and how rewarding that work can be and how important it is to have dedicated people who, who, who care about 
<clears throat> our students and how you can influence that, um, I never looked back. And I just, you know, kept working toward doing more and more and uh, getting, you know, high, higher positions. And then once I became a vice president, which I did for a very long time, um, <clears throat> I began to think that I, I thought I could actually uh, 